Welcome to Morning Prayers. This morning we have joining with us, offering her senior talk, Asirme Okolo from Kirkland House. Please rise as you are able to join me in a responsive reading of Psalm number five, which can be found on page number three of the Black Appleton Psalter. Please rise as you're able. Give ear to my words, O God, consider my meditation. In the morning you hear my voice. Early in the morning I make my appeal and watch for you. Braggarts cannot stand in your sight. You hate all those who work wickedness. But as for me, through the greatness of your mercy, I will go into your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in awe of you. Amen. You may be seated.
A reading from Colossians 3, verses 11 through 17. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Sometime between elementary and middle school years, children become rather bold. We decide not only what we believe is right and wrong, but also begin to recognize when our peers deviate from that very important standard. My first rebuke came not because I wore the wrong clothes or listened to the wrong music, but because I was hungry. And when asked that day what my favorite breakfast food was, I had a quick reply. I love bagels. I certainly didn't realize there was anything wrong with the way I named this donut-shaped bread until I, until I was replied with a, what did you say? And I had absolutely no idea that I had inherited this pronunciation until years later, a friend rather rudely whispered to me that my parents were incorrectly saying the word bagel as a result of their accents. I can honestly say that I didn't recognize that my parents, strong, loving, and nurturing Nigerian-American immigrants, even had accents until I reached adolescence and was more aware of their social interactions. The incidents became more significant than the breakfast food fiasco of the year 2000. As my heart started to reach over the checkout counter, sales associates and store managers would often stop speaking to my mother and instead turn to me for translation. All this despite the fact that English is Nigeria's primary language and my parents both speak it perfectly. I still struggle to understand why people don't always consider our world's accents and the beautiful, rich cultures they connote as an essential and even beneficial part of our lived experience, of how we engage with the world around us. Why do we so often use accents as an asterisk in personal interactions instead? How do we reconcile what is different and what we are familiar with within those that we encounter? What does it mean to be understood as a full, complex human being. I know I don't need to explain to all of you why that question is more pressing now than ever. It's a question I asked myself on a Friday night in February, seated in Kirkland House's Basement Grill. We had gathered to watch 13th, Ava DuVernay's Oscar-nominated and endlessly provoking documentary on mass incarceration. But there is one quote from Columbia University professor Jelani Cobb that stuck with me even after I went to bed that night. If you look at the history of black people's various struggles in this country, the connecting theme is the attempt to be understood as full, complicated human beings. 
We are something other than this visceral image of criminality and menace and threat to which people associate with us. His words reverberate with me still, but his words also resonate with all those who offer a visceral image in their daily existence. The thousands of us here at Harvard who have offered ourselves to the world as a whole person, but instead are considered through the lens of an assumption or through the opinion of a first time meeting. His words resonate with the Radcliffe undergraduates who came before me and pushed for equal coeducation. His words resonate with my classmates who as members of I too am Harvard, bravely shared their experiences of navigating Harvard while black on the Lowell lecture hall stage during our freshman year. For some, I understand that his words don't resonate and that's part of my point. My undergraduate academic work based on the history of science, African-American studies, and health policy has been built around the historical trajectory of and diverse impact of human beings. Harvard offers us all a foundation with which to consider the world, but we must grasp it in full rather than just in the classroom or even just after we leave. I am not an expert on the message that I share with you. I know I need to do better in engaging with all those who inhabit my communities instead of only those that I want to engage. But I share this story because I've come to realize that my Harvard can't just be one that's about career goals or concentrations. It shouldn't be just about the strength I found in deeply meaningful friendships or the mentorship I've received from professors who invest their valuable time in students. We are one of the most extraordinary places I've ever been blessed to inhabit. And so my Harvard and our Harvard must revolve around a common humanity. It's a simple idea, but one that I worry we have forgotten. It is how to understand another person because they are just that, another person, a fellow human being. We must be able to see, feel, or hear our difference and still not let it supersede our perceptions and relationships. That's a step towards forming essential and unexpected human connections and towards becoming less insular. The world that my fellow members of the class of 2017 will affect and create after leaving this campus is one that will inform thousands of students to come after us. After commencement and in the years to come, I want to return to a Harvard in which this community is more motivated and dedicated to affect interpersonal change than those who came before them. People want their accomplishments and achievements to interact and engage with the lives of others, not only after exiting Johnson Gate, but also within the four, eight, or however many years they may be here. It begins with grace, and it starts through us, as members of one body who were called to peace. This is how we chase humanity, and I pray that we will choose to do so. Would you please join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thine kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Would you please rise as you're able to sing with me hymn number 241, Come Down, O Love Divine, hymn number 241. And so as we leave this place, realizing and recognizing the fullness of all of our humanity, may God go before us to lead us. May God stand behind us to push us, on the side of us to guide us, above us to protect us, beneath us to keep us, to sustain us, and in us to keep us. Amen.